Hi besties, it's just me, George, but welcome back to your Millennial BFFs, the podcast. So we're changing things up and as Has settles into his new job, it's just me this week, but I'm joined by a very special guest. But before I start the episode, I do want to apologize for some technical difficulties. Bear with us through the little audio glitches because this episode is a goodie. And now into the good stuff with our first special guest of the podcast. So we promised you at the beginning that we'd bring you more of our besties onto the podcast. So without further ado, let's get chatting to our bestie, Carla. Hello. Hi, George. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really well. Thank you for joining us. We're so very excited to hear all about your kind of life journey through, you know, Gen Z um, and Gen Y millennial journey. So why don't you introduce yourself? Well, my name's Carla. Um, I'm currently living in Canberra, ACT, the nation's capital, and I'm working as a CEO in the automotive industry. Interesting. And I did make a trip down to the nation's capital over the last weekend. And, you know, this is round two of trying to record the podcast because we did get a little bit distracted by gin distilleries. <laughs> um, so we've got Carla, but we are still going to start off with um, what we're loving this week. So why don't I kick off um, after my adventure? There was something that I am so glad that I had. Uh, something else that I had purchased is now broken. So <laughs> I parked in Carla's beautiful apartment garage and <laughs> decided they couldn't see my car and reverse straight into it. So my thing that I'm loving that I bought this week is car insurance so that I can get my 17-day-old car fixed <laughs> and not be out of pocket. <laughs> and what about yourself? Well, um, yes, not not quite as exciting, <laughs> maybe. Um, but I've, um, as part of uh, as part of COVID, and as also as part of um, working in a smaller office space now, I've really hooked into the online deliveries, um, <laughs> in a big way. And being in a smaller office, you don't have a mail room that gets cranky when all of your online purchases turn up. You just have colleagues <laughs> that, that feel a little bit like your page boy answering the door for you. So um, I, I've been, yeah, hitting the online stores pretty hard. And my most recent purchase has been cat food where I have <laughs> learnt the ways of the pet barn coupons because they offer you a lot of coupons and specials but they don't always work with all of the items that you want to buy and you've got to buy a certain Uh amount to redeem a certain coupon and if Uh something's on special like a buy one get one free you can't use a coupon so um, I think I've put in three different orders and I think I've worked (laughs) out that that is going to be the cheapest way to purchase all of my goods (laughs) despite being a little bit annoying. I feel like it was one of those maths challenges where they go you've got three coupons that do this which I was never very good at (laughs) and I think I've nailed it so after the podcast you're going to be on the next um, episode of extreme couponing the Australian version (laughs) that's right I did have to come up and cancel one of the orders and 
because then I realised I'd actually ordered the wrong thing and then I oh. spoke to the guy but the, the guy on the other end of the line, for, you know, they were open late, which I was amazed at. Um, mm-hmm. He actually cancelled the wrong order so then oh, I no. had to call back and get him to cancel the right order and start from scratch. So, yeah, it was, it was challenging but um, I think I've got there and the cat's going to be fed. Maurice is going to be very happy and that leads us um, very well into my next you know we always do something that sparked our interest too and I am going to out myself here because I absolutely spend more time on TikTok than I should Um, and I know that I send you a lot and I think my best yet is the it's this video it's American and of a bobcat so this guy starts out and we're going to have to share this on Instagram because it is just absolutely one of the best videos I've ever seen on TikTok. And I didn't know bobcats were real. I just, when I think of a bobcat, I think of a literal like truck, like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're a thing, they're real. And they're this video of this guy getting, getting attacked by a bobcat in the driveway then this runner runs past and gets involved in the action and he literally picks up I'm crying trying (laughs) picks up the bobcat looks it in the eyes and goes oh my god it's an effing bobcat and then chucks it across the front lawn it is just it's so good it it is um it is one of the better videos you've sent me Jordan I have to say um another thing that COVID gave us was TikTok obsessions uh well I actually had to I knew what a bobcat was because being a cat lover you know I've seen many many cat videos and I love bobcats they're very cute although not particularly domesticated um I had to google what yeet yeet was (laughs) And then I discovered that yeet, nobody really knows what yeet means, no. but often it, often it means to throw something, um, but it's not really a word. It's just something that came out of, I think, possibly another TikTok video or, yeah. or some other YouTube yeah. video sensation. So I learned something from that video too. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Also comments. showing <laughs> showing that I'm not a millennial because I didn't know what a yeet was. I'm going to have to get you onto Urban Dictionary because you can, you know, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. But I think well, the I comment section. Urban Dictionary, it saves oh. me. It saves yeah. me so many times in so many situations, but it didn't, its definition wasn't right. Oh, okay. We're, that's, we're going to have to write into Urban Dictionary. Um, yeah. There's flaws. So <laughs> there is definitely flaws. But the comment section of that video also is, is where the yeet came from. Yeah. Comments make it all that better. It's it yeah. was um it was an incredible yeah. video. But the one that got me was um <laughs> if you I think it was along the lines of if you if your husband can't yeet a bobcat across the front <laughs> lawn, he's not worth marrying. Yeah. <laughs> and my new husband and I were in bed cracking up at this video last night. Way later than we should have been, but it was it was definitely worth it. But that again, look at look at all these natural segues into the topic today. So, Urban Dictionary, you mentioned that you're not a millennial, but everybody once was, and so what you've worn a lot of hats on your journey to becoming a CEO, and I believe that maybe you didn't always know that you would be or always wanted to be a CEO in the automotive industry. Uh, so, how about you tell us about that story? Where did you begin? 
Sure. Well, ironically, I actually began that story in Canberra. So I've, I've returned to Canberra um, after 20 years away in Sydney and um, it's a little bit strange being back, but um, we, can, we can talk more about that later. Um, so I guess I never really wanted to know what I wanted to do growing up and a lot of um, my friends and, and family, um, you know, would often sprout their own views when they were asked of, of what they wanted to do, but I never really sort of had that crystallised in my mind and probably still don't. Um, if you'd asked other people about me, though, I think in in most of my jobs, most people sort of observed that I end up running the place pretty quickly, whether it's my job or not. So that may um, have been, you know, foreshadowed by others um, and maybe I couldn't see it. But I kind of... Um, I really wanted to do physiotherapy when I was choosing subjects. And so I did, you know, year 11 and 12, which is a little bit different in the ACT because you do go to a different school. So it's it's a bit like going to uni for two years. You're allowed to drive. You don't have to wear a uniform. You can t- talk to your teachers um, and call them by their first name. Uh, it's, it's quite informal. In fact, you don't even have to turn up to class. Um, there's no real role per se but if you don't turn up you get you do fail after a certain point um so i um tried to get into physiotherapy and um part of what i was doing while i was trying to get into physiotherapy was working at pizza hut as a delivery driver and also working at a rugby club as a sports trainer Um, i was heavily involved in sport and I was playing volleyball and, and refereeing volleyball um, at, you know, the sort of representative level for my age group. And I was also playing piano. So I got into university, but I didn't quite get the marks for physiotherapy or even come very close. So I <laughs> in, enrolled in, in, um, in psychology and... I thought that might be an interesting degree and it was really incredibly interesting and I think um, quite a generalist degree really when I look back on it. So it was a science-based degree. Um, It allowed me to do some electives which I filled up with sports subjects like biomechanics and all sorts of other um, sports-related topics like anatomy and physiology. And then I graduated and... The year that I graduated was the first year that the rules changed and you couldn't become a practising psychologist without going on and doing a master's, which I, of course, didn't know because I wasn't particularly, um, you know, across all the details of schooling um, as much as you uh, might want your kids to be. So I had um, a bit of a decision to make. I I had a boyfriend who was in Sydney um and I thought oh I'm not really sure if I want to go and do a master's you also have to do supervised practice that would probably be in Canberra that would be in in the psych ward at a hospital and that didn't really seem like what I what I wanted to do I I had thought maybe I could transfer across to physiotherapy but then after by that stage I'd had five years with the rugby club and I was getting a bit sick of taping ankles and knees and sweaty footballers um and you know as much as running onto the field and um, spraying magic water on someone during the middle of a game, 
is is very rewarding. I was kind of a little bit um, over that. So I thought, okay, well, I might go to Sydney and, and start working in a um, in just some kind of admin job and earn, you know, in my mind, I thought I could earn a lot of money doing that. And then, then I could make a decision about coming back and maybe doing some additional study. And if I really wanted to do psychology, I could do that and I'd have the money because I would have made all this money doing, you know, my entry level admin job. Um, so that didn't really pan out as expected. I got a job um, in a fantastic firm uh, that was a financial services business that was an equities research house. And that, um, as you might be thinking, as I say those words, uh, was not something I really knew you know anything about what it did I hadn't done any maths or sort of um, accounting or economics or any of those things in my degree so I was flying a bit blind but um, I'm pretty good at picking up things and running with them and the role was really about a very small team so there were only six or seven of us at that point um, making the office run doing all the sort of you know admin stuff that you need to do in an office being the office manager making sure um we had supplies and and you know all that kind of stuff um and i had a really fantastic boss so i have to say that um and he has passed away now which is quite sad but he was incredible and he was tough and he he had extremely high standards but he also had a really interesting way of approaching work and we didn't have job titles some some people ended up having job titles later on but we kind of didn't have job titles because his view was if you had a job title you could kind of say well that's not my job but really um it allowed me to go into all sorts of things that i wouldn't otherwise have done so part of i guess my um development in that role was that i ended up running all the graduate recruitment that they did to bring in new investment analysts um, I read all the research reports that they sent out to their clients and I proof that read them from a perspective of can a lay person understand this because I really was very much a lay person um, and, you know, can I follow the arguments that you're making and does this all sort of make sense? Um, I ran IT, so I learnt how to use Windows NT, which is a little bit archaic now, but that was what was running um, the back office uh, side of things, uh, put in a... A sort of CRM system. Um, so really I, I took on a lot of different things and I guess that kind of jack of all trade master of none um, mantle that some people get given kind of really came to the fore there. So part of that time at that job um, I wanted to do some extra study because I was getting a little bit bored. I was, I was there in total for about um, six years and sort of towards the last couple of years, I decided to take on an MBA. Now that's a Masters of Business Administration and I had never heard of a Masters of Business of Administration or MBA. I thought people were talking about the NBA most of the time when they mentioned an MBA, um, but most of the people that I was working with had one. And they said, look, it's a really good way to change careers um, because it's a generalist, business management degree you, you learn how to run a business basically um, and I did mine at AGSM which now doesn't exist but it was at that time um, a co or joint venture between the University of Sydney and the University of New South Wales 
now it's just run by University of New South Wales. Um, but it's that was a that was a great degree. I didn't really understand um, much of the accounting or, or corporate finance stuff um, when I started, but when I finished, I did, and much the same as that that role when I first started I didn't I mean there were probably a good six months at the beginning of that job where I just really didn't know what anyone was talking about at all um but I sat down and and, you know did my best to learn and came out of that MBA around the same time as I ended up leaving that role and then moved into another financial services role doing product development for a for a um I guess what you'd call them is a non-bank lender. Um, and so I was doing product development uh, for mortgage-backed kind of securities right when the GFC hit. Well, I'm sure that would have been an experience working through the GFC as someone who kind of, I've heard about it, it's kind of this elusive um, world event, you know, working in finance and everyone goes, oh, when I was in, um, when I worked through the GFC, so Tell, like, what was that like? It was fascinating and it was a really, um, obviously, incredibly interesting time to be working, especially in financial Mm -hmm. services and being in, you know, that sort of mortgage, uh, residential and commercial mortgage sector uh, that was so badly hit. And and there was definitely, you know, there were definitely um, signs that, things were not as they should be before that happened. I certainly was looking at um, Mm -hmm. comparable or competitors to the (laughs) business I was working for because, we, you know, you're obviously trying to look at other people's products and work out what they're doing. And um, there was one in particular that I had found and and I just thought, I'm too dumb to understand this. I I couldn't find, I was going through all their, you know, their documents Mm -hmm. and their books and their product disclosure stuff and I couldn't find some of the money and it's like I just can't work out what they're investing in and and yeah. as it turned out <laughs> through the GFC we found <laughs> they weren't actually investing that money so that was possibly why I couldn't find it but <laughs> yeah. um but it was interesting being um in you know Sydney which is a smallish yeah financial center um you really saw the um, the blood on the streets might be a little bit too too severe, but <laughs> at, at, for part of that time, I was actually working in Australia Square, and so mm-hmm. Ryan's Bar did a roaring trade, which was one of the really <laughs> fascinating things about um, yep. a downturn. And they say that happens in every downturn: is pubs, you know, the pubs go yeah. gangbusters. But we used to sit at Ryan's Bar at lunchtime, um, mm-hmm. you know, and some nights well into the evening. And yeah. there would just be people coming out of the Macquarie Bank Bond Street building because that was still a thing then. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we all got told we had, you know, if the phone rings, you've lost your job. Yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> all, all of those stories. Um, and mm-hmm. so all of those people were just, you know, in the bars and you were having those those conversations um, with people and mm-hmm. it was a very, very bizarre time. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, I wasn't as worried. I found it an mm-hmm. interesting thing that was happening around me um, and definitely people I knew lost their jobs but mm-hmm. um, 
I, I've always thought I could go and do other things as well. So I wasn't particularly concerned about financial services, but watching, watching the market downturn and trying to understand what it was going to do to the markets and trying to understand what it was going to do to our business. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it was just a very, very, very difficult time for, for a lot of people and also um, a fascinating time just from a, you know, economic point of view. Yeah. And how do you think, like, it's, it's so interesting. We're just past 2020, right? But that time again where people are so worried about losing jobs and, you know, going through a pandemic, I think people are kind of that for a while there it was very anxious, very worried that it was kind of um, going to be a similar scenario. But I think we're all coming out the end of it now. I know my business is just hiring like crazy. I think in um, I read somewhere too in March, job, um, job listings through Seek just skyrocketed, which is just sign of a great recovery 12 months on and from financial services you do a couple of things there we worked together um at some point there how I ended up in financial services I still don't know but um you know like yourself just stumbled into it where did you go from there well so after that role um I I stumbled into being a ministerial advisor which is a thing to stumble into as I mentioned I'd been um involved in volleyball for a long time Mm -hmm. and uh I had I had quit that job um, and I envisaged this beautiful three-month holiday through the summer where I was just going to referee beach volleyball and, and hang out. And, and around that time I'd started studying law because I'm a bit weird and also because I felt I was a little bit bored in that in that role and I wanted to do more study and mm-hmm. I'd thought about what might be useful and really because I'd been doing all this product development work Financial services is so heavily regulated. Mm-hmm. Law seemed to be the most sensible thing. I thought about doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the chartered financial analyst, but yep. um, I ended up settling on law. And through law, I'd met a friend who um, turned out to be working for one of the um, state ministers and mm-hmm. they really wanted someone who had financial services experience because they'd just got the treasury portfolio. And so I somehow ended up, doing that, which I didn't even really know was a thing before I got got asked to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But that was, for me, again, like a completely new area, learning about mm-hmm. politics, learning how um, government departments work and the interplay between a minister, a minister's office, um, and then what the department does, and then the interplay between the different ministers and, and trying to get legislative changes through how all of that works. Yeah. Um, So it was still very much financial services and it was still very exciting because this was when the mining tax had been announced and I had um, the tax portfolio under my belt and Mm -hmm. that had a a huge impact on um, potential revenue that the state was going to get from its mineral royalties. And so I kind of got thrown in the deep end with that Um, and baptism by fire I guess <laughs> um, best that, way, best way, best way. So, but the good thing was I could I could keep studying law in the background, and I ended up mm-hmm. um, that role ended. Um, you know, um, when they had an election and and the government didn't get back in, so um, mm-hmm. I took off a few months and and finished off my law degree and did a little bit of time at a law firm to, um, I. I guess, do the supervised practice that I didn't quite realise when I started the degree you had to do to finish the degree. Um, again, That's possi- twice you've done that. I know. 
<laughs> possibly First the, um, psychology and then the law. Yeah, possibly should check out the fine print um, instead of just getting all excited about doing the degree and all the stuff you're going to learn. Um, so, yeah, I had to go and work in a law firm, which was fantastic. It also made me realise I was um, a little bit too old and uh, didn't really want to be a lawyer. Um, but then I started working in the Financial Services Industry Association um, and that was a really good mix. It was all of the things that I'd done before, um, a bit of politics, a bit of policy making, a bit of law and a lot of industry experience. So um, from there and many, many years in that role, then I came to um, the role where we both worked together and that was a pure yeah. government relations role. So, again, very similar but focused on, on just the government side and just for one company. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, um, <laughs> and, I'm, again, I'm not quite sure how, I got headhunted to come and work uh, in the automotive industry doing automotive safety testing. Yes, which is very incredible. I did get a sneak peek. Um, so fascinating. And I think something that, you know, people get in, in cars and trains and buses every day, but I don't think people think much about it. Like it, it's just the given that, you know, you have seatbelts and that's all safety is, but super fascinating. So interesting industry to um, stumble upon. But I think your journey so far, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come, um, it just shows that, you know, even yourself, you said your, um, you know, your high school marks. And that happens for so many young people. Uh, and, and they think it's, you know, it's the end of the world. Um, just like look ahead and, you know, there's so many other ways that you can get there. You've gone through different degrees. You've gone back as like many times to university and now you're a CEO. I think it just proves that, you know, Paths come in, you know, there's little twists and turns at every moment. And I think also you're a great example of, um, you know, just taking a chance. I think, you know, a lot of people would be um, a little bit hesitant to go into an industry or a role that they know nothing about. But you've just, you know, given it a crack and it's, it's definitely turned out. But Enough about work. You've also found balance and you mentioned volleyball loosely, but how do you find the balance between doing something that you really love while still, you know, earning money and doing your job well? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think part of that is um, it's very, very different refereeing volleyball. Um, (laughs) And so part of it is a bit of a change is as good as a holiday, right? So Mm -hmm. you're not at work, you're doing something else. I've got a whole suite of friends through volleyball and I'm referring at international level. So those friends are all around the world. Um, And you, you end up with these gangs of friends that you don't really know who's going to turn up to a tournament um, ahead of time usually. And so you get there and then there'll be a bunch of people that you already know that are some of your mates and you make a whole bunch of new friends so it's kind of a bit like travelling um, in a way because you are you are going to a different country and, and mm-hmm. often, you know, English is not the first language there. Um, no. But, it, yeah, it's sort of a bit like travel on steroids because you'll get to go and do a few things that they organise mm-hmm. for you to go and see the sites. Um, but you'll be working as well. And it is quite high pressure 
Um, it's live yeah. live TV. You know, there's these are all professional athletes. Um, yeah, you're not. You know, it's not kind of um, your lo- local social league. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday down at the Canberra volleyball court. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's not, not it's not the Lineham Hockey Centre. So it <laughs> is, um, which is ironically where they play volleyball here. But um, yeah, it, it's it's challenging, and it's but I I kind of like that, and and in a weird way, there's a parallel to law. So I guess I've kind of ended up in some kind of quasi law enforcement and now my my new role as ceo is is kind of a you know it's a semi-regulatory body so Mm -hmm. it 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 is all um very similar in a way and there are definitely parallels and things that i've found i can learn and take from one area into another because you've seen i've seen regulatory approaches um that the financial Mm -hmm. services regulator has taken and i think about those things when i'm doing um work in my current role it's sort of a good benchmark to go well I've seen examples of how that's happened before how what how might we do that and the same thing with with volleyball refereeing your um I think the way I've <coughs> described it before is that you um you you can't control the actions of the players so the players mm-hmm. are going to do what the players are going to do they're going to respond to what you're going to do and the way um you react to their behaviour mm-hmm. sets the tone for the rest of the match. So um, you can, the way you handle situations and especially early on in a match um, provides a clear lead for them but you, mm-hmm. you aren't there to control their behaviour, you're there to react to it and, and respond accordingly. And um, I that think That can be translated to so many things. Exactly. It's yeah. all about that attitude and, like you said, it's so transferable and the importance of transferable skills. I think these days it's so easy as a millennial to get caught up on, you know, oh, we need you to have 10 years' experience in this and in this industry with these skills, but it's often those, you know, negotiating and, you know, real-life people skills, like how, how, do you, how do you get people along the journey, in a, especially communications? How do, you, how do you prove your worth? How do you get, like you said, react to the behaviour and not control it. But, you know, in the end it's kind of your tone is setting the scene and yeah. setting the um, – And that's it's a, so important. That's a really interesting point um, because probably one of the skills that I have that I didn't realise I had and, and is coming through in this role as well mm-hmm. is um, that experience of being a pizza delivery driver and I know mm-hmm. people will laugh. <laughs> yep. But yep. Um, I, I got to experience – being a delivery driver, I made pizzas for a while. I did do some of the restaurant stuff and yeah. um, I was a store manager for a while as well. You mm-hmm. know, most most people in, you know, those kinds of jobs get to experience all of all of the joys of those. The full facet of pizza. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it might be Macca's or it might be KFC yeah. or whatever else people have worked at. Um, but they're all, you know, they're very similar. And one of the things that Pizza Hut was great at um, was we got really good training in dealing with difficult people and dealing with people mm-hmm. who were really upset and emotional because people get really emotional about their pizza being late, their $6 pizza. Absolutely. Um, and Hangry. <laughs> hangry and, and there's really, you know, um, because we had a restaurant as well, there was a lot mm-hmm. of consumer contact and we had one of those all-you-can-eat restaurants because this was back oh. in the day. 
and they so, are the best. Yeah, they are. They are pretty. They are pretty good. And I got pretty fat working at Pizza Hut. Let me tell you. But yeah. um, yeah, having people absolutely screaming at you because there was no ham and pineapple pizza on the or you can eat bar when they were there for forty minutes stuffing their faces. Um, you know that that's it's actually a skill being able to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And um, they taught you how to do that because it was such a common situation. And that's something that I didn't really realise I was good at. And I don't know that I was necessarily particularly good at it, but because I'd been trained and you had certain responses and, and you knew how to handle that situation, it meant that I didn't really ever get upset or emotional mm-hmm. or, you know, your heart, normally your heart starts to beat and you, yeah. you feel like you're getting, you're Lusted under attack. And... Yeah. It's that mm-hmm. fight or flight response. And because mm-hmm. I'd had so many of those situations and we would, we did role playing and you're trained how to mm-hmm. deal with it. Um, when I worked in other roles um, where I had, you know, bosses who would fly off the handle um, <laughs> or working in politics where just everyone flies off the handle, um, <laughs> And then coming into to other roles where you you come across people who are just a bit more emotional than you might expect in an office setting, that yep. kind of thing doesn't bother me. And so refereeing, it's the same. When I've got players mm-hmm. on court who are really, really upset about something, I can deal with that without getting equally emotional because it, mm-hmm. I've, I've got... I've got those skills and that's not something that I kind of have ever thought about being a particularly transferable skill. Um, but now that you mentioned that, it sort of made mm-hmm. me realise, well, that's that's probably one of the things that is is quite transferable. And I guess I always try mm-hmm. to look for things um, as well. I try to make connections. So yep. for me um, with, um, y- you know, these roles that are kind of a bit law-related, I've been trying to, look at what I'm doing and go, what are the connections? Why are these things similar? Mm-hmm. And gone, oh, okay, it's law. But I actually I actually spend time thinking about that, which I know not everyone does, but I think no. part of maybe that um, in terms of thinking about your own experience and trying to draw some parallels and go, well, what is similar about the roles that I've had? What, what are some of the areas that I might be able to draw some experience from? Mm-hmm. Um, might mean that you don't need the specific thing that someone's looking for because often the specific thing they're looking Absolutely. for is actually tapping into something that might be a bit more of a transferable skill. Absolutely. And I think everyone is so quick to like, you know, um, disregard jobs that you start off at. Like everyone, you know, has a similar journey. I didn't do McDonald's, but I started as retail and masters, um, which is, was the Woolworth Bunnings, which again, it, I, it, it closed down and people were really, really upset about that with both people that um, had jobs there and also um, consumers. So having that experience pretty early on, like I do really think that having worked from such a young age and being told by my parents, you know, you need to work to be able to fund your lifestyle um, that you want to have has really definitely absolutely helped. And, you know, in a job, you're always going to have similar sort of responsibilities and, and things that you do, all the time right there's always going to be stakeholder management there's always going to be communication there's always going to be times where you know you've got to persuade someone to come along so it's so important to think back and recognize that you know everybody has to start somewhere even CEOs which you know it's, it's so easy too as a millennial to think of these people as you know um you know I don't know almost like angelic mystical creatures right I think 
for a lot I have a bit of a unique perspective on that because from such a my first job I worked directly with the CEO of a you know an ASX listed company which a lot of 21 year olds don't get uh, which I'm forever grateful for but they there is this kind of you know you can't touch them mentality but remembering that and like you said you everyone started somewhere and has worked their way up yeah, and I think that's that's also the same um, with politicians and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the experiences that I've had through the roles that I've had, um, both working in politics and then sort of, you know, politics adjacent um, <laughs> like I am at the moment and in my last couple of roles. Um, I remember being in the foyer of Parliament House as a kid doing my, I mean, it was a bit different because we were in Canberra, but still every school had to go to Parliament House and do the, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone goes to Parliament House I did the excursion. Yeah, everyone does the excursion. Parliament House and Questacon. And I remember looking at people walking through the foyer, which I now know is the marble foyer, with their briefcases and off to meetings. And it was like, oh, what is these people working in this strange big building? And then I randomly um, had my... Uh, site graduation in the Great mm. Hall at Parliament House. Gorgeous. And so that was, yeah, that was lo- lovely, lovely. And then I ended up um, having in my last couple of jobs a pass to Parliament House to go mm. to do meetings, um, yeah. which is what, you know, when you're in that kind of government relations space, you you end up um, with access to the building. So um, it's been, that's been a bit of a full circle experience for me as well, where I never imagined that I was going to be doing that. And I never sat there thinking, gee, I really want to be someone who works in this building. I just yeah. went, oh, that's interesting. People work here. That's strange. Um, so, We're so naive, right? Yeah, I know. I know. And, and in some ways I think naivety is good because mm-hmm. it just allows you to um, experience things and, and make connections and and draw parallels um, without necessarily having this career goal, which I've never had. I mean, and even with volleyball, I have, um, you know, I've just said with volleyball, I'm going to keep refereeing until they tell me to stop. And many people have tried to tell me to stop, but they're not people who can actually take my licence away. So that doesn't count. Um, (laughs) It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Yeah, many, many teams and many players. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so I've just, you know, I didn't set out. to be a referee at the Olympics, but that's now something that is actually possible conceptually for me. Um, I'm in the right track and I'm in the right age group to be able to do that. So um, that's, you know, I guess uh, maybe not what they teach you to to plan your career in that way, but for me I've kind of taken opportunities, like you said, um, assessed opportunities, being completely open to them and then mm-hmm. um, kind of tried to weigh them up around, well, what are the skills that I've got? What experience would that give me that I don't have? How much mm-hmm. of it can I do versus how much of it is just going to be me completely winging it? Um, and where could I go after that role? What's that What's that going to open up for me? Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, the move from financial services into this sort of automotive quasi-regulatory space um, is very heavily government related. So there was a lot of similarities there. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of leaving financial services, um, I kind of felt like I was adding something and I could always go back to financial services. Um, if you wanted. But it's, yeah, exactly, if I wanted yeah. to. And I'm pretty sure some of the policy issues are still going to be um, the same. It's still there. <laughs> still there in five years' time. Yeah. We'll still be yeah. talking about superannuation and what the rate should be. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. But it's yeah it's a it's a um 
it's opened up now a whole bunch of new opportunities for me. So I kind of see that as adding. Um, and probably the other thing I'd say is that it, it's also made me realise um, how difficult it is to learn. And um, okay. when you get thrown into a new industry um, mm-hmm. and you're getting briefings from your team um, and people are briefing you in a lot of detail and this is a highly technical area that I'm in now, um, mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't have, or for me, if I don't have a good framework of of how the industry works, it's like I've got no hooks to hang the information that they're giving me mm-hmm. onto. And yeah. so it's taken six months now, and I feel like I've built up a bit of a connection of oh, this goes here, like a jigsaw puzzle. This goes here, and mm-hmm. that bit goes there. And it's almost like you need the outside frame of that jigsaw puzzle in place before you can start to work out where the other pieces go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that for me has been a really interesting experience to go, oh, well, I know now that I, for me I really need to start at the top and get okay. good breadth and then go down and then I'll be able to figure out where things fit and along the way I can draw analogies to things I already know about. So mm-hmm. there's not much about car manufacturing that's particularly different to financial services product <laughs> manufacturing um, apart from the regulatory structure but mm-hmm. product manufacturer behaviour is still very similar It's across different industries. So, mm-hmm. um, again, that's something that I feel like the dynamics of that industry yeah. I can understand at a high level, so therefore I don't feel so scared about going into it. I'm so glad you brought that up too because I think when you, I mean, I've just gone into a new job too and as a young person it's kind of hard to know when it's time to move on and, you know, you can't get kind of comfortable and you think, oh, maybe I would like to take the next step but you don't want to. But I think you've kind of like hit the nail on the head that's saying that the first six months might not be great. It might be this time of, you know, turbulence, like your brain just feels like it's about to explode. You've, you've stumbled a little bit. Um, and that's just human. I think it, you, you really do have to settle into anything. Nothing's perfect. You know, the first day that you turn on, like you can't Absolutely. You go run marathon runners, you know, they yeah. train. I think that's so important. So before we wrap things up, I think, one last thing, what would you like, well, what would have you liked to say to your millennial self, you know, midway through your journey? Um, top, top, top tip. Mm, that is, it's, it's a tough one. Put you on the one. spot there. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think it's, um, it's probably, you know, you can't, you can't make a wrong decision, really. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you might, um turn yourself inside out around a particular decision and at the end of the day it probably doesn't really matter because most things you can reverse um, in some way, shape or form. Um, mm-hmm. There aren't really any of these decisions that are particularly life-changing and, mm-hmm. and while you might think it is at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did psychology. I wasn't particularly fussed about doing that because um, I always mm-hmm. thought I could go back and, you know, play piano in a piano bar if everything else failed. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I kind of had these other other strands of things going on that I know not everyone one has. But mm-hmm. um, if you do a degree and, and you set down into a career path and you spend, you know, three or maybe five years going down a certain path and you go, you know what, this isn't my thing. Just change. Just go do something mm-hmm. else. If you want to go do um, night school, I'm a huge advocate for um, racking up hex debt in the postgraduate <laughs> space. 
Um, I think you I, even convinced me. You convinced, I convinced me to. You. Yeah, I, I convinced, went. I've convinced a lot of people. I've had a letter from the government saying you have put uh, as much money as you can <laughs> on postgraduate hex, and a lot of people don't realise. Um, so postgraduate hex, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Pels. It might have a different name by now. They keep changing yeah. it. Um, help, yeah, fee help or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. Um, I'm not sure of the exact number now, but but back then it was around a hundred grand. So mm-hmm. you can rack up a hundred grand's worth of fees in mm-hmm. postgraduate study, and it adds onto your hex debt, and you pay it back the same way you do your hex debt, where it comes out of your salary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is um, a really cost-effective way of deferring your study fees and yeah. paying basically no interest on it because it's indexed to CPI. So low, yeah. Yeah, and um, so you can go, I did my MBA on it, I did my mm-hmm. law degree and I did half my Masters of Law on it. Wow. So there's a lot of opportunity that if you want to go and do another degree, just go do another degree. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, if, you know, and if yeah. you want to go work in another field, just just try it. It might be, it might be hard to get a foot in the door, but um, mm-hmm. talking to people that you know in your networks, some of my jobs, well, a lot of the last few have been through networks. Mm-hmm. That's so, so important too. Yeah, I got into the law firm. I got that placement to do supervised practice at the law firm because I was at a party talking to the husband of one of the women that I did the MBA with who worked at that firm and I said, oh, God, mm-hmm. I've got to go and do supervised practice and I've been mm-hmm. working in financial services but that's like the only thing I know. And he goes, oh, send me your CV and I'll see if the financial services team need anyone and they did and it turned out to be a fantastic Incredible. relationship and I'm still in contact with the um, the partners that I worked for there. So, um, you know, just put it out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the worst thing these days that people can say is no. And exactly. I think that's something something that people kind of, you know, like you got to throw your hat in the ring. To you got to be in it to win it. Uh, Absolutely. At, which So, you know, I think from today, thank you so much. I think we've learned that, you know, our paths can have lots of different journeys on them. It's not super linear and it doesn't matter if it's linear. I think, you know, taking a risk, taking a chance on something. And I love how you said there's no wrong decisions because at the end of the day, you really can fix something. If you, you know, that that can be every facet of life, right? I mean, you know, you want to go on a health kick, you want to, your relationship's not working out, you know, uh, need to go on a spending ban. I think, yeah, you can, you can kind of come out of most things these days. So that wraps up our episode for today. So we would love to hear what you want to hear next. Uh, it's the birthday boy, Hass, his birthday coming up. So our next episode will be all about him and he'll be back. So you can find us on Instagram, which is where I will share that incredible Bobcat video that we spoke about earlier. <laughs> um, and you can also send us a voice message at Anchor FM or send us an email And as always, we have to warn you that we are, you know, even though we think we do give some pretty good advice, we're not professionals. So if you do need a professional in any of these fields, please seek one out. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carla. And bye, besties. Bye. Bye.